Hey, Dodger fans, you're stepping into the dugout of the Dodger Dogs podcast. I'm Christian C. Dub Cruz, your host. I will be diving into Dodger baseball news, game recaps, stats, and much more from a fan's perspective. So grab yourself a dog, peanuts, sunflowers, or Cracker Jack, and let's take a trip around the diamond. This is episode number one. So I'm starting this podcast just to talk shop about the boys in blue, but the first few episodes will revolve around some general background information about the Dodgers and understand some general terms. Um, so it's going to have like a primer uh, just for people that don't generally follow baseball, but want to learn a little bit more and listen to the podcast just to kind of understand what we're talking about. So this episode will dive into a brief history of the Dodgers, but I encourage you all to visit the stadium and take a tour. It gives fans historical background and great information. So I definitely encourage people to do that. Um, so the Los Angeles Dodgers are a professional baseball team based in Los Angeles, California. Yes, they are actually in LA County. Here's a brief history. So let's talk about the Brooklyn years, 1883 to 1957. The team was originally established in 1883 as a Brooklyn Atlantics, later becoming the Brooklyn Dodgers, Trolley Dodgers originally. They were members of the National League and played their home games at various stadiums in Brooklyn, New York. The team experienced success in the 1940s and 50s, winning their first and only championship in Brooklyn in 1955 on their eighth try, having lost seven times in the World Series before that. So let's talk a little bit about the move to Los Angeles in 1958. The Dodgers made history by relocating to Los Angeles in 1958, becoming the first major league baseball team on the West Coast. The move was prompted by the desire to tap into their growing population and potential fan base in in California. Attendance in Brooklyn had dwindled over time and many people began moving to the suburbs, so they weren't getting a whole lot of attendance any longer. Owner Walter O'Malley demanded Brooklyn build him a new stadium as Ebbets Field was starting to become run down, but the city did not budge. Soon after, they were moved and played their first game in Los Angeles at the historic Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum on April 18, 1958. Let's talk a little bit about the championships uh, that the Dodgers have won. So the Dodgers continued their success in Los Angeles, winning several National League pennants and championships. Uh, notable players during this era included Sandy Koufax, Don Drysdale, Maury Willis, just to name a few. Plenty, many, many more. Uh, the team secured World Series victories in 1959, 1963, 1965, 1981, 1988, and 2020. I want so I want to talk a little bit about the Fernando Valenzuela era in the 1980s. There were several noble, notable eras, but for a team in L.A., arguably one of the biggest was Fernando Mania. Mexican pitcher Fernando Valenzuela became a cultural phenomenon in the 1980s, known for his Fernando Mania that swept through baseball. Valenzuela's success contributed to the team's popularity, and success during this period um, brought a new generation of fans to the ballpark, including myself. I grew up in the 80s and early 90s, and um, I remember my father watching the TV, watching Fernando. It was uh, something that we connected with especially for someone from uh, Mexico who his first language was uh, Spanish and he was trying to learn English. And this is something that we connected with and learned about. And I was super excited. I still remember going to the to the ballpark to watch him play. Uh, but, you know, Fernando won the 1981 uh, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year and Silver Slugger, and a World Series championship, which is very rare for anybody, not only just to win in a rookie year, but to win three different awards and a championship, uh, which is very, very exciting. Um, so that was a, a big piece to what, where I grew up and in terms of like the fans that came out into the 90s and kind of this ushered this new fan base uh, that you kind of see today still. 
Um, so I want to talk a little bit about the transition uh, and contention in the 1990s uh, into the 2000s. Um, so the Dodgers remained competitive into the into the 90s uh, for about the mid 90s or so. Um, so following decades, uh, making they they made playoff appearances and featured notable players like Mike Piazza, Adrian Beltre, Hideo Nomo, and Eric Gagne. The team underwent ownership changes during this time. Uh, so Guggenheim Partners bought the team in 2012, um, and so they're still the owners today. So in 2012, a group led by Guggenheim Partners, including Magic Johnson, purchased the Dodgers from Frank McCourt, who originally owned the Dodgers or had bought it from from the O'Malley's. And it wasn't a good time at, at that point. They didn't spend a whole lot of money on the team. Uh, they actually didn't spend a whole lot of money on players and let quite a few of them go. One of them was is now a Hall of Famer in uh, in Beltre. So it was kind of a tough time for Dodger fans. Um, people lost interest. Uh, I still went to a few games here and there, but it was kind of tough even for, for people to go out to the ballgame and spend money on that. But under this ownership and the Guggenheim ownership, the team has been has seen significant success winning several division titles. Uh, the team reached the World Series in 2017 and 2018, but fell short of winning the championship because of the Astros, or the Trastros, as maybe like, many like to call them, uh, cheating scandal. The Dodgers and baseball, um, you know, were taken aback in 2017. We should have won the series. Uh, unfortunately, a team cheated. Um, not a whole lot was done by the commissioner, uh, which was kind of sad to see that, you know, things like that could still happen at that level. Uh, but we did win in 2020. It was the World Series. It was fun to watch. Um, it was in the middle of the pandemic, so it was really hard on not just uh, people in general, but on the players themselves that were in a bubble. They had to play many more playoff games, um, a lot less rest. Uh, and so I think for for my money, it was probably one of the harder championships to win just because of the absence of so many things in terms of uh, just trying to get through the playoffs themselves, trying to do all, what they hasn't been done since 1988. Uh, but really doing it on their own without any support other than the team themselves. Uh, so I think it was a substantive win um, and something that showed that we were we were on that stage. Uh, so they beat the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, the team roster was highlighted by star uh, players and future Hall of Famer Clayton Kershaw. Uh, Cody Bellinger was also on that team, Mookie Betts, and Corey Seager, who won the MVP uh, and just recently won another championship with the Rangers uh, this year. So throughout their history, the Dodgers have been one of the most iconic and successful franchises in Major League Baseball with a rich legacy that spans from Brooklyn to Los Angeles. But within its history, there have been controversies, and I want to uh, touch base or kind of touch a little bit on one of them uh, and put it right front and center. Uh, so the Dodgers uh, and Chavez Ravine uh, history, uh, there's an impact in, uh, to the larger cultural uh, com in terms of the Los Angeles community. Um, so the Los Angeles Dodgers impact on Travis Ravine extends beyond the baseball field and encompasses a complex and controversial history involving the development of Dodger Stadium. Travis Ravine was a neighborhood in Los Angeles with a predominantly Mexican-American population. In the 1950s, the city of Los Angeles, under the leadership of Mayor Norris Paulson, initiated a program to clear what was known back then as slums um, and build public housing. The plan eventually shifted and the land earmarked for public housing was instead allocated for construction of Dodgers Stadium. Uh, the Dodgers under owner Walter O'Malley at the time moved from Brooklyn to Los Angeles in 1958 seeking a more modern and larger venue for their games. Chavez Ravine was chosen as the site for the new stadium and this decision had profound implications for the community. Not only was the public housing not going to be built as promised but the land would now be used uh, for a new stadium which did not sit well for the families who were promised an opportunity at, at, at housing. And unfortunately, a whole community was upended and removed 
while it was noted as being you know run down or in slums it really wasn't it really had a, a rich history and i would encourage people to go watch the pbs uh uh series or at uh, one it's an episode on on Chavez Ravine um and they talked a little bit about the impact that it had on the community um so they didn't start on the right foot at all i think it was unfortunately uh, what happened and and was um you know there was some racial connotations to it there you know a slum because there were mexican americans it was uprooted and removed rather than any other place and that was uh you know kind of set in stone at that point uh but the promises were made to these communities that affordable housing was going to be able to be provided to them they would have first shot at it and it just didn't happen that way there's so much more to the story but i wanted to make sure that uh we we kind of went through that uh history even though briefly um that it wasn't a a, a happy marriage from the get-go and i think there was a, a lot of significant lasting damage that you even still see today uh because of that uh situation um, so the process of acquiring the land for the Dodger Stadium involved the forced ev eviction of Chavez Ravine residents to an eminent domain. This is just a controversial practice where the government can acquire private property for public use. Um, many residents were displaced from their homes and neighborhoods were essentially erased to make way for the stadium. This was just another instance in a long line of instances of racist policies within City Hall at the time. This displacement was met with significant opposition, protests, and legal battles from the residents, but ultimately the stadium was built opening in 1962. Dodger Stadium became the home of the Los Angeles Dodgers and has since been an iconic venue in Major League Baseball. While Dodger Stadium is celebrated for its iconic look and picturesque setting and has played host to numerous historic moments in baseball, uh, its, constru its construction and the displacement of this Chavez Ravine community remain a point of contention and reflection on the complex relationship between sports, urban development, and social justice. Over the years, the Dodgers and the city have worked on community initiatives to address some of the historical grievances and to foster positive engagement with the surrounding neighborhoods. But the start of the Dodgers in Los Angeles started on the wrong foot. Since then, the scars to the community still exist, but over time, Los Angeles embraced the boys in blue and culture of the Los Angeles uh, and the culture of Los Angeles was changed forever. The Los Angeles Dodgers have had a notable influence on popular culture in East LA, uh, in East Los Angeles, East LA, uh, where I grew up, uh, co contributing to the region's identity and community spirit. Here are some ways in which the Dodgers have impacted popular culture in East LA. Uh, cultural diversity and unity. East LA is known for its diverse and vibrant communities, and the Dodgers have played a role in bringing people together across different backgrounds. The team's fan base reflects the cultural richness of the area, fostering a sense of unity among residents, among Latinos. Um, in particular, uh, you know, growing up, we saw nothing but Dodger gear everywhere. We saw uh, people always talking about them going to the ballpark, and the, the identity of the Dodgers really live within the community itself. While many people adopted it over time, it's been a cornerstone of, uh, of what we do, um, the carne asadas. Um, we talk about, you know, uh, meeting up where, we really ask where the, where is the game going to be shown and a lot of the time we're talking about the dodger game um so there's there's a rich cultural diversity when it came to the dodgers and and east la so representation the dodgers with the where the deep roots in the city have become a source of pride and representation of east los angeles the team's success and its players achievements resonate with the local community serving as inspirational figures for aspiring athletes and fans um across the world but in particular in the east los angeles area so the culture in terms of like East LA and the influences had on the Dodgers are kind of unique. Um, you know, one of the coolest things about Los Angeles is this uh, Latino kind of culture 
Uh, Joe Cowley recently got a mariachi uh, uh, coat and, and took it to um, um, the White House. And I think that's something kind of uh, interesting just because you kind of see that on the larger scale in terms of like the adoption by the Dodgers and their players to bring in that culture, knowing the significance that it had uh, for quite a, uh, quite, quite a few people, um, including myself. So I thought that was kind of cool. Um, but the one thing I will say is, uh, in terms of the influence that the Dodgers have had on the community, it's a little bit of both, it's a vice versa, right? So we influence uh, the Dodgers uh, as a whole as, in terms of um, how they approach the game, how they approach winning, because um, in, in L.A., you know, anything less than a championship isn't, isn't good enough. Um, so I thought that was kind of neat. I'm going to go into my next kind of uh, take here, which I want to call it really cracks my bat. So for all you haters out there, I don't, I just don't get it. You know, the Dodgers are shining Shohei and Yamamoto. It's not ruining baseball. The org has proven for over a decade that they're willing to win and they have been winning. Um, you know, winning is far, uh, uh, is number one for anybody, whether it's you're in LA or any other city. So when you're talking to an organization that has enough backing and funding to go out there and get these kind of uh, uh, players, these free agents, you're telling us that you're, we're not going to be able to go out and get them because it's going to ruin baseball. Then you know what? I'm sorry. You're going to have to go to your organizations and tell them to, like, to check themselves and spend some money. And if they're trying to spend money, then maybe do something different. I know the Giants, you know, they're crying about it. Uh, a lot of fans are crying about it. But you know what? At the end of the day, they didn't want to go play there. They want to go play for the Blue Jays. They didn't want to go play for the San Francisco Giants. They don't want to play for New York. They want to play for L.A. And that just comes down to the good work that they've done at the organization to make sure that the players want to go there. They're willing to dish out the money, but also back it up with a great organization. Not everybody has that. And I'm sorry. Like, that's just the way it is. So, you know, just stop whining about it, you bums, and just get out there and fill the good team. You never know. I mean, this day and age, a 100 win team doesn't make it to the doesn't make it to the World Series. So, you know, you might get a chance. You still you still got to play the games at the end of the day. So, I say go out there, feel the good team and stop whining about it. So, anyway, that's my take. Uh but for the next few episodes, it's mostly going to give uh you the listeners some general background info about us uh about spring training. Um mostly as it gets closer. Uh but eventually I'm going to move to more of like hot takes, analysis and more day-to-day Dodger news. Uh, mostly I'm just going to hit topics and just give my takes on the Dodgers. So, I mean, that's all I'm going to be really doing with this because it's just going to be kind of a fun thing to do throughout the year. I'm just kind of looking forward to it. Um, the one thing I will say is I just wanted to uh, uh, put some sources out there in terms of where I got the information uh, today. So I got a lot of information from DodgerBlue.com, uh, Matthew Moreno, Cannon Burns uh, Baseball, uh, ha- Baseball Hall of Fame, uh, the, the website itself. The PBS Chavez Ravine uh, by Jordan Mechner, which is awesome. Uh, and then the complicated uh, relationship between Latinos and Los Angeles Dodgers by Priscilla Leiva. Uh, so I encourage you to go check out those uh, sources. But that's I got a lot of my information from there, so I appreciate uh, all those uh, people that put that stuff together. But I definitely um, want to say thanks for that. Um, and just thanks for listening. And until next time, stay blue, stay Dodger blue.